The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success. The men beat on their drums. to another episode of Politics Theory Other. My name is Alex Doherty and today I'm joined by Joni Eliza Cohen. We'll be talking about the role of transmisogyny and anti-Semitism in Nazi ideology. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast and all good podcast apps. And you can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at PolTheoryOther. If you've been enjoying PTO, please do consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. It really helps to bring in new listeners to the show. Joni Eliza Cohen is a research student in Marxist feminism and founding editor of Invert Journal. She's also an organiser for the Women's Strike Assembly and the Feminist Anti-Fascist Assembly. You can follow her on Twitter. Her handle is at Diasporia. Today's conversation was prompted by an article Joni wrote for the Verso Books blog, The Eradication of Talmudic Abstractions, Antisemitism, Transmisogyny and the National Socialist Project. It's a fascinating read, and you can find a link to the article in the description of today's episode. In her article, Joni draws upon the work of Marxist theorist and historian Moish Poststone, who died last year. I began the interview by asking Joni what she found to be valuable in Poststone's analysis of anti-Semitism, as typified by Nazi Germany. The thing that I think is most powerful about Poststone's kind of explanation of modern anti-Semitism and, and the way it comes to the fore in Nazism is um, the sheer range of, of elements of a seemingly contradictory anti-Semitism and, and Nazi ideology in general that, that he manages to kind of synthesize together into a kind of coherent logic. And I think this is kind of quite unique in terms of the theorization of Nazism. Substantially, like most, most um, kind of attempts to understand Nazism, fascism, anti-Semitism tend towards either a psychological psychological bent which um begs the question of of more kind of broader social categories which um which are kind of get left behind and then then there's kind of a economistic understanding which which also is unsatisfactory um that would be the the approach that the views uh fascism as, as as the tool of capital in crisis that kind of thing yes i think trotsky's definition which is just that it's the the, the worst excesses of of finance capital i think which is it's very unhelpful, but also doesn't it just doesn't doesn't give any any explanation to the specificities of of that ideology in that period of history. So I think like the main the main aspects of of Pistone's understanding of antisemitism that for me show the the explanatory power of of his of his understanding is he manages to gather together, for example, one one element which is the the kind of strange amount of power that the Jews are attributed in in modern anti-Semitism. Jewish power is conceived to be global and total, and also this power is enacted from the shadows. It's it's an invisible power that is never kind of directly 
experienced. It's um, in itself abstract. Well, you you mentioned, don't you, I think in the piece, um, a, a famous poster uh, of, of Nazi propaganda. Um, do, do you know the one I'm referring to and what it describes? Uh, the, I'm not sure I mentioned that, but Stone does. Ah, okay, that's what I, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, the poster of um, the kind of British and British and American imperialism on one side. It's like a map of Europe, um, British and American imperialism on one side, and Bolshevism encroaching on the other, and then the kind of pure Germany, like fighting off both of those. But then behind both of these powers, it shows it shows them as puppets of of a of a kind of anti-Semitic cartoon of a Jew. Yeah. So this kind of idea that international Jewry, as how the how Nazis term us, is able to um, to kind of masterfully control on the face of it, very um, opposing forces to kind of destroy the folkish German purity, the Aryan purity. There's this aspect that um, a broad range of social forces that, that Nazism conceives itself as opposing, can, and even if these social forces are apparently contradictory, that the kind of the unified program behind them is that of like global Jewish power. And that's kind of exactly what I found most interesting in kind of the the later neo-Nazi understandings of how of how things like gay and trans liberation and and feminism in and like every, kind of almost every element of a kind of liberatory politics is, is attributed to the kind of self-interested um kind of ethnic security project of, of like of the Jew in in Nazi understandings. And so and as Sorry. So, so from that perspective, you know, whether it's it's Soviet communism or whether it's um, the sort of uh, creatively destructive character of, of capital in the West, or whether it's, as you say, trans people, these are all just seen as kind of various tactics, various ways of sort of uh, thwarting the the um, you know the as you say you know the, the Volkish um, family you know uh, national community. Mm, absolutely and the kind of other element that it that it manages to which i think is like one of the great strengths of of Pistone's analysis which i didn't i didn't really touch on in my essay is the is the kind of the specificity of of the kind of rational the calculated nature of nazi's antisemitism the rule of nazi antisemitism is not kind of the pogrom of late 19th century russia it's it's um it's the the concentration camp it's a kind of rationalized extermination procedure that this kind of sets it apart in its kind of um, affectless process rather than a kind of outburst of passionate hatred, you know? So it's this kind of specificity of, of what actually happened under the Nazi regime does away with the possibility of explaining anti-Semitism as a kind of scapegoat ideology. In, the, in that sense, like, a scapegoat ideology would be like they wanted to mobilize a pre-existing passionate hatred for Jews in order to in order to to get some kind of political basis and then then once once um Nazis had like had gained power then then this would ultimately relax in some way um or they would they would only kind of bring it up in order to 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 reestablish themselves or to bolster their power and there doesn't seem to be this kind of instrumentalization of Jews under under the kind of Nazi regime instead it seems it's not a scapegoat to gain power, but rather they gained power in order to eradicate the Jews. It's the it's the, the the telos of the entire National Socialist project is to eradicate the Jews. And according to their logic, as as Jews are are essentially the power behind all of the social ills that they wanted to eradicate from the from the Aryan stock and the German society, 
the eradication of the Jews would therefore be the eradication of, of all those social ills. With the eradication of the Jews, they get to the right to the heart of, of how they want to transform society. And Postone's kind of explanation of this kind of really wants to pay attention to, to this kind of idea, like to fact to the fact that like the disturbing fact that the, the Nazi regime preferred to invest their their labor and their resources when they were like losing the war, when the Red Army was storming through um, Poland, instead of mobilizing their resources to fight the Red Army, they mobilized them to continue the eradication of the Jews. And this is the kind of like chilling idea that they would rather that their regime was lost, but more Jews were destroyed than they win the war. And this is the kind of like the kind of disturbing specificities of the Nazi regime that, that Postone's account gives a lot of light to. I mean, I, I wonder if it's even also not just a kind of an either or that it's a sort of choice between fighting the war or, dis, or, or destroying Jewry. Um, I mean, I was I, I read recently preparing for this 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 interview. Actually, I read a, an article by the historian Saul Friedlander, and he describes something you know similar to what you're describing. He's talking about the um, the situation in in Hungary late in the war, and the Jewish community in Hungary is, is one of the last communities to be destroyed in the Holocaust, and 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 uh, those people would would. would transported very late onto the to the camps and he he describes a confrontation between Hitler and uh, I believe it was Admiral Horthy in in Hungary and um, he he describes how you know Horthy is basically you know as gently as he's able to to say to the you know the the, the hegemonic power of Europe um, that uh, Nazi Germany is infringing upon Hungary's sovereignty by trying to extend the race laws to uh, to Hungary and and Hitler's repost is that the Jews are a threat in and of themselves are a threat to to Hungarian sovereignty and and a threat to the stability of the the Hungarian state and and so I perhaps I wonder if in fact it, it's it's it, it may be a question of priorities but it, it may also have been that the destruction of Jewry for, for some Nazi ideologues was seen as you know just absolutely key to to winning the war yeah that's true I can see that um in the sense that I'm thinking of bizarrely the film Bedknobs and Broomsticks, where there's, there's a, the final scene is like this: the, there's a witch who um, who's controlling a uh, an army of medieval suits of armor with with swords and maces, etc., um, that are being kind of animated um, by the, by her magic, and and they're they're fighting, ironically, fighting away uh, Nazi invasion during the Second World War. This kind of really bizarre scene. But there's this moment where where she's shot down from her flight on a on a broomstick and the entire army just just collapses and stops and i think like what you're saying kind of kind of brings up this idea of like that they're kind of focusing on on the idea that that if if they could finally like get every last jew then then suddenly the powers that were fighting them wouldn't exist anymore mm. Because the real power is 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 in the shadows, is is is, is yeah. the, the world Jewish conspiracy and, and so on. Mm. But also, um, what you're saying interestingly is like that 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 um, Hill is saying that, that the Jews are a threat to not just German sovereignty, but but like the, but the Hungarian nation, which is exactly exactly kind of what Bastone's account can actually explain. In the Nazi imaginary, of course, like they're mainly focused on on the Aryan nation as they conceive it, but ultimately it is um, it's like the concrete nation as such, or rather the nation, almost ironically in the abstract, that the Jew is the enemy of, 
the very the very possibility of nationhood is undermined by the existence of Jewry for for the, for the Nazi understanding, like rootless rootless cosmopolitans, right? Rootless cosmopolitanism, exactly. This kind of this um this this abstract internationalism of of Jewry and as as like as as Bastone argues, the abstract internationalism of global capital, which the Jew comes to stand as a as as the like the absolute manifestation of all the pernicious the pernicious effects of of global abstract domination by the law of value global capital. So like so so Hitler's kind of yeah Hitler's kind of exposing this kind of thing here is like it's like you can never have a nation as long as the Jews exist. It's kind of what he's saying, right? Which says a lot like that the Jews are kind of undermining the very possibility of any kind of nationhood, not just kind of Aryan nationhood. Thanks. That's a really good anecdote. <laughs> there was another thing I read in that that, that really struck me because I was, you know, from reading it after after reading reading your work and reading a bit of Pistone as well was again again from the Friedlander article. He 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 talks about you know this this um, this um, you know sort of global perspective the the Nazis had of of, of Jewish power and. Um, uh, you know, going back to that poster, he he doesn't talk about that, but he refers to um, a moment. Uh, I, th- I think it's from the book, uh, the the table talk book of, of you know sort of Hitler's sort of rantings over over dinner and, and so on in the um, in the in the in the bunker or, or uh, in the eagle's lair or whatever. And uh, and you see just sort of how concrete this is to him um, because he says uh, something like, um, "Oh, Stalin may believe that he's in power." Um, in, in, in the Soviet Union, but in fact, it's his Jewish son-in-law who stands behind him, um, which, is, which is kind of extraordinary to think that, you know, that, that actually he didn't perceive Stalin as, as, his, as his real antagonist. And, mm, and, mm. and it also made me think of, of the conversation I had with Adam, Adam Tooze, because in his work, he's very clear that the, the the war in in the West was perceived as a, as an anti um, as as being entirely structured by anti-Semitism as much as the war in the East. It may have been fought differently, but he talks about how the U.S. and, and Britain these again were perceived as powers in in the in the grip of, of of world Jewry, and and it's just sort of extraordinary, I suppose, to think that that although. Hitler is so entirely identified with anti-Semitism. It may well be that we we actually underestimate the centrality of anti-Semitism to 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 Nazism. Yeah, it is quite a, a shocking realization when you come to it. It's like we we can to understand um, anti-Semitism as like a political logic, not just um, a kind of prejudice or hatred. It's funny what you, what you were saying about um, kind of Stalin's Jewish son-in-law. It's like, isn't that exactly what Trump has? Trump has a Jewish son-in-law, and um, in my kind of readings of like neo of con- like contemporary Nazi kind of blogging and uh, and listening to the 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 neo-Nazi um, podcast, the Daily Shower. Um, you're, you're listening to it, so we don't have to, I presume. Yeah, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> it's not good for your <laughs> mental health. Yeah, um, they kind of frequently kind of criticise. Uh, Trump as a as a kind of cuck of of the Jews that like he's not he's not anti-Semitic enough and this is the kind of critique they they launch against the, the substantial amount of of the far right actually that that they ha- they don't go far enough they don't they're not um as the, as in in the kind of alt right terminology they're not red pilled on the JQ on the Jewish question they haven't like taken their critique far enough they're still they're still kind of in the realm of the the dog whistle globalists without 
actually identifying globalists as Jews, which is what they are kind of searching for, for kind of the whole of the far right to to kind of come over to the 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 kind of national socialist far like kind of ultra right maybe we could say. It's, 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 it seems quite quite um, beautifully ironic that uh, that in both cases it's 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 like it's the idea of um, the great leader who's like let his daughter marry a Jew, which is like the kind of the worst kind of um, undermining of like. Of that leader's masculinity um yeah yeah absolutely yeah patriarchal authority and, and all that yeah yeah I'm, so, I'm sort of aware jenny we've we've, we've talked a lot about uh, without actually getting to the meat of your book of your article yet so so let's <laughs> let's, let's do that um, yeah, yeah let's do that. So, so um it's i mean yes yeah, so, so to turn to the article um it, it's you know it's obviously pretty well known that the nazis were, were homophobic and and that um that homosexuals were, were marked down for annihilation within the um the, the concentration camp system but you argue in, in your article that, that the Nazis had a very sort of specific understanding of of, uh, of, of homosexuality, uh, which puts them at a, at a slight remove from other forms of homophobia. So, for instance, you, you suggest that for the for the Nazis, homosexuality consisted of uh, so a sort of sliding scale of of, of, of feminization of the masculine. So, to to be homosexual was to be to 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 whatever degree to be feminized. And, and so according to that logic, it wouldn't sort of make a lot of sense to think of a kind of a, a sort of, uh, you know, butch homosexuality or something like that, because according to this logic, homosexuality is is feminization. Um, could you just ex- expand on, on, on this theme a bit more and, uh, and explain what the implications are regarding how the Nazis specifically viewed uh, trans people and, and especially trans women? Well, I think the the particularities of of, uh, of this kind of understanding of of homosexuality isn't actually you know isolated to Nazism. It's um it goes back to the Greeks, to the Romans, uh, and as exist- yeah, it existed in in like in many many forms. This this idea that um there is there there is a kind of active masculine manly eros as as Enthrum, the famous gay Nazi, describes his own desire. This idea that it is not li- literally the active role in in homosexual sex, which is the unacceptable one. It's it's the it's the feminization of of the like receiver, which is the abhorrency. Mm. Um, so so Rome would not have perceived himself as as, as homosexual effectively. Rome, I cite an article in in my article that that actually kind of cites some actual te- some actual um, texts of Enthrum, who where he says that he. He said, "I'm not homosexual. I have like a, a manly eros," and he completely, he completely disidentifies from from the idea of of homosexuality and and but asserts himself as as, as but asserts his own, his own understanding of his of the kind of masculine same sex desire as perfectly commensurable with the Nazi project. And there's another there's a, there's even a manifesto that's published by another another member of the SA at, at this time. Before before the Nazis come to power, which is quite significant in terms of the the chronology of of um of Nazi understandings of homosexuality, I think because crucially Ernst Röhm was was murdered in in 1934 in the kind of in the the night of the long knives in the, in the kind of Nazi purge, and it's certainly possible that his that his like his gayness was was a reason for this, but. Certainly, as a movement, um, the, the Nazi the Nazi movement didn't persecute all kinds of what we would now call homosexuality. It was specifically the feminine, and specifically the the feminine in kind of 
inhering in what they considered a male body. And so when I argue in the in the essay that um that it's not homophobia that's that's like integral to the Nazi ideology, but transmisogyny, what I'm kind of I should have maybe said this differently in the in the article. It was what I'm more saying is that there's both there's both homophobia and transmisogyny, but but the, but their uniting logic is is a kind of misogyny against those assigned male at birth, regardless of how they of how they identify. So it's it's an attack of it's an attack on on the feminization on on the on the, the feminine corruption of of like the the purity of mas of the masculine kind of hero the the all all kind of Aryan men were supposed to be and and as such like the 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 trans women or what was then in the terms the use at the time was um, transvestite would have been is seen as like the the worst pole on this spectrum of of the feminization of of the masculine which goes from engaging in homosexual sex to to kind of an identification with with the female and so what's kind of crucial about this is that they kind of understand this as as a biological phenomenon they they think they think that this is a this is a disease this is a a problem for the eugenic for the eugenic project as such and they want to eradicate homosexuality in in this kind of like Aryan age to come and insofar as this happens like it's the trans women who well, actually, there's not enough sources historically to, to determine whether 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 the whether the pink triangle prisoners were in fact largely trans women or whether they were, because there's no distinction in the Nazi understanding, in Nazi categorization. There isn't any understanding, um, but it's but it's a gradation rather than a kind of difference in difference in kind. But what we can kind of get from this is that it is a misogyny. That Nazi homophobia and transmisogyny is ultimately rooted in that misogyny, rather, rather than kind of this kind of separate category of homophobia. And um, on the on, on the um, issue of the of, of perceiving this as a as a sort of biological problem, uh, again, Jews are seen to stand behind the 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 emergence of of a sort of uh, you know sort of more trans friendly culture and i mean you you, you talk about um the, the sort of the, the emergence of of, of uh, such a movement within within weimar germany in, in the article yes yes absolutely um this um this kind of bizarre configuration of, of the kind of jewish left in germany at the time and and the um, emergence of the gay and trans liberation movement it's like kind of comes to comes to its kind of fruition in the institute for sexual science which which is founded by probably the the the, the, far, the father figure of emancipatory sexology um, magnus hirschfeld the inaugurator of, of of this emancipatory scientific project to to work for both a more accepting society of trans people trans like trans and queer people also to to further kind of understand the emergence of such difference in in like in human gender and sex uh spectrum as he thinks of it um and uh yeah so magnus hersfield himself so he was a member of the of the social democratic party of germany he um from the late 19th century he um he was a active member of of this party before the communist and social democratic split and so like so, you know he's a marxist of whatever ilk and he's also committed to this to this um kind of to this one of this first kind of um integrations of of what we might now call identity politics um into into this kind of broader socialist project and uh this institute was kind of conceived of as in the in the nazi imaginary as like as kind of the worst possible aspect of of like it like kind of signified everything that was wrong with with like with the weimar with weimar germany and the kind of social democratic hegemony that 
that existed at the time, it was seen as a kind of a, a bastion of of like degeneracy, of like Jewish Marxist degen- intellectual degen- degeneracy, as well as the degeneracy of of trans and queer people themselves. And in fact, uh, yeah, Hitler said that Hitler was reported to have said that Magnus Hirschfeld was in fact the the most dangerous Jew in Germany. And it's crucial to to understanding Nazism to understand that one of the inaugurating acts of the regime was that was the destruction of the Institute for Sexual Science. And in fact, the the and the and this the kind the kind of most famous pictures of of, of Nazi book burning that we've kind of all been raised as the terrible kind of anti-intellectualism of, of Nazism, that, that the kind of um, the liberal understanding of history, the kind of state state education on the Holocaust kind of constantly kind of shows you is there's, this, there's the horrors of book burning, the horrors of totalitarianism and fundamentalism and all this kind of stuff is mobilised against. But this book burning was, in fact, the archives and all the notes and all the books and all the library, the library of, of the Institute for Sexual Science. And like what this kind of inaugural act of the of the Nazi regime like signifies is, or like or the or the effects of that was the destruction of of the of the scientific knowledge that that today trans people are still feeling the effects of the the, the setback in simply like the the scientific understandings of 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 sex and gender. This is an incredibly important like event for the for the history of trans liberation, and I, don't, I really don't think it can be it can be downplayed. The difficulties of trans life today owe a substantial amount to that particular night. Um, we we've sort of touched on this a little bit, but um, to to go back to the question of what it is that um, the Nazis find so sort of horrifying and and troubling about. Uh, about well, I was going I was gonna say Jewish people, but it's you know what they impute Jewish people to be, you know their their sort of conception of of of, of Jewry, um, but but also of, of trans people, and it's this is you know as you point to in your article, it's it's um, such people seem to be the kind of in in the minds of Nazi ideo- ideologues, they seem to be the um, sort of physical instantiation of of abstraction of of fluidity and and a kind of modernity although although you point out in in your article that the the Nazis had a sort of schizophrenic view of of, of modernity in, in in some respects um could, could you could you speak to that question of of, of abstraction a little bit yeah so I guess Pistone has this idea that this kind of the the fetishization of of um of the concrete and biological, which is central to the Nazi regime, the not the like to, to Nazi ideology in general, even the contemporary, um, is the kind of assertion of the purity of of the concrete biological, um, and also the setting out of of this biological kind of sphere, as the terrain of political conflict. And also, this is very diff- very different to the feminist notions of, of the body as a site of conflict. It's kind of it's more more to do with the the genetics and the endocrinological system, which is what I argue in the essay. That I mean, it's quite well known that, that the Nazis understood had this kind of project of eugenics, and they they understood one of the essential tasks that they had to do was 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 the the purification of Aryan genetics and to eradicate all kind of illness and all disabilities or conge- like congenital impairments as well as racial impurities. But also, what we see in um in the kind of Nazi understanding is and in contemporary far right and neo Nazi understandings of 
of this conflict, we see the undermining of the kind of testosterone levels of of, of men, which is exactly this kind of understanding that 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 trans women as as the um, agents of transgression of the kind of the norms of like of kind of uh, endocrinological norms constitute a a destruction of the purity of the of the of the male biology. Mm. And 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 therefore a sort of a threat to the to the race in general from their social Darwinist perspective. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so from this, you can you can kind of see that opposed to this this kind of understanding of the purity of the biological, you have the abstract social or abstraction in general, which which uh, Persona argues that the Jew is identified with the abstractions of capital, and the idea of that one of the one of the inaugurators of um, of value form theory, Marxism, Alfred Zollnretel, uses the term um, real abstraction, the idea that abstractions don't just exist in the mind, but they, ex- they exist in the world. And, and so thus, like, some elements of, of the way the world is structured is it, is it, are, are in itself abstract. And this is a sen- an essential part of Marxism, but also, but also it, it, it kind of gets caught up in, in this kind of foreshortened critique of capital that, that um, Bastogne argues that Nazism kind of puts forward this kind of critique of abstraction without, without also critiquing the abstract, the, the concomitant abstract nature of the, of the concrete. There's a, there's a kind of fetishization of the concrete here. Um, and so, so sorry, so Jody, just sorry yeah. sorry yeah i mean i'm just on that and and that i mean that gives that gives a much better explanatory framework for situating the nazis in terms of modernity right because uh, i think i think i think as Postone points out you have this simultaneous uh you know sort of hatred of of uh abstract capital and and bankers and financiers and all this sort of business um but at the same time you have you know a, a, a tremendous enthusiasm for industry and for 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 the material products of industry and for armaments and, and so on absolutely this, this this understanding that the the critique doesn't doesn't extend to kind of industrial capital it only it only extends to financial as as the abstract form of capital and then industrial labor is understood as as this kind of pure nation like like nationally bounded concrete elements of capital which is which are, aren't to be criticized and similarly like in my, the argument that i make is is in a, in this in this kind of dialectical opposition between abstract and concrete applied to the concept of gender we have a kind of we, we have a kind of a dual system a dual kind of poles of gender which are gender as and sex gender being understood as abstract and and sex as as the con- as a concrete manifestation and um and so I kind of what I argue here is that the, the transmisogyny that the Nazism affects is a fetishization of the concrete as applied to sex and against the um the abstractions of of a of a kind of um a rootless cosmopolitanism of, of gender this this idea that that trans people in transgressing the the kind of rooted concreteness of sex and like strict gender roles they are themselves like an abstraction of an a, a, a pernicious abstraction from sex which itself undermines the purity of sex as, as i've argued before in terms of the, the endocrinological um purity and then kind of this 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 idea of this, the abstraction of gender is then personified in in the trans women as the kind of most horrific monstrous effect of this kind of um abstraction away from the purity of sex You've been listening to Politics Theory Other. If you'd like to hear the extended version of this and other PTO episodes, please consider supporting the show via Patreon. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com 
forward slash poll theory other. Thanks for listening.